Open your Bibles to, if you would, Ephesians chapter 4. Put your finger there. We're going to get to that passage in just a bit. I found something more to talk to you about with respect to community. We're on a little run here. Can you tell? It's a good subject. Anybody learning anything? Benefiting by it? Okay. handful of you. Good. Word koinonia. We start off looking at that word and we, we begin to, to, to unpack that word. And as we look through the New Testament, we discovered that that word is translated a number of different ways. Uh, four of the ways it's translated we've been discussing. It's been translated as participation, as partnership, as sharing, as fellowship. Those are those are just four of the ways, and, and, and when you begin to look at all those meanings, you see all these different facets of this uh, unique uh, word in the Greek. But all those words imply one theme, and I want to suggest to you that that theme is community. Community should be a priority. Uh, we, we are beings who are made for one another. We're made for community. We're made for relationship. Uh, we need each other, whether we want to admit to it or not, and uh, more particularly, uh, spiritual community. And so as we talk about this theme, we cannot miss the fact that koinonia denotes a community relationship in Christ among all believers around the world. Our brothers and sisters in, in Africa and in South America uh, in, in, in the northern part of, the, of, of, of our country, in, in, in Europe and such. There are, we're all brothers and sisters. We have this community on a large, large scale. And we must grasp the fact that true koinonia means really simply, as Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 4, belonging to one another. It's not just some loose association. It's not just a name only. There is an organic if you will, spiritual bond between all believers. And you, you know, you, you, you experience that when you, when you meet somebody who's a believer. Uh, like some of our, 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 our missions teams, they go abroad. And uh, our, our, our Cambodia team right now uh, is experiencing koinonia with Cambodian brothers and sisters, with people from other parts of the world. Uh, our China team, when they go, uh, they, they experience genuine koinonia with brothers and sisters there in China, Christians. And there's a, there's, a, there's a bond there that you can almost, it's almost palpable. You can almost feel it. And you, you just know there's, this, there's this, this immediate connection. And that's what God means for it to be. He means for us to be united in, in, in our minds, our hearts, one purpose. It's God's purpose. It's God's will. So community is very, very important. Now, belonging to one another, we understand on the, on, the, on the larger scale, is what the Bible teaches us. But the real belonging to one another, I think, is best realized, it's best accomplished, if you will, by participating in a good local church. I really begin to experience koinonia on a, on a continual basis when I'm participating in a local church. Now, but by the word participation, by that, I mean simply by being a member, being committed to that local body. And all of us, to one degree or another, have found ourselves uh, either on the periphery. I, I know when I first became a Christian, I, I started coming to this church, and, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. I didn't own a Bible. I, this was all brand new to me. And, and, but I desperately wanted the fellowship. I, I just felt like I should be here. And I, this, was, this was home for some strange reason, uh, which would be revealed to me many years later. <laughs> but but I, I began to experience koinonia. And I started at the periphery and, and, and slowly uh, got drawn into the life of the church and and, and as I was talking to my son about this the other day, and I said, a whole new world had opened up to me. 
And I, I was just so excited about things. And I was excited about the Bible and reading it and studying it and getting to know what, what God's thoughts were. The fact that God would actually talk to me through this book. And uh, it, it, was just, it was just a terrific thing. But if I, if I didn't have the local, local church, I wouldn't really know what koinonia was. It would be a largely theoretical kind of a thing. I wouldn't really understand and appreciate it experientially. Nor would my life be enhanced and strengthened uh, and have opportunities to return that into the lives of other people. It, it's a joy to me. It really is a joy to me. I look forward to coming here. And uh, most of the time, <laughs> I mean, I'm like everybody else, right? I mean, right? But it's a joy. I mean, I love, I love seeing you guys at the top of the stairs. That's probably one of my greatest joys is just to greet you and welcome you and somehow uh, just say, God bless you. It's good to see you. And some of you who I miss and I haven't seen in a while, it's good to see you come back and to receive you back. But it's all part of, of, of being the family. If we didn't have a local church, if we didn't have a local church family, we couldn't experience these things. And we'd continue all on our individual paths uh, with our own lives. Um, Alan was talking to me earlier about uh, trimming a tree in his yard and fell out of the tree and broke his clavicle. And, 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 and all, of, all of his discipleship guys and many church people gathered around him and helped him and, you know, and, one of the guys pushed him out of the tree, he said. <laughs> bad joke, bad joke. So I, I, all that to say that, that you know, uh, if we're really to realize and to accomplish quantity, it's one thing to talk about it, one thing to uh, discuss the principles and what the Bible has to say about it, that's a whole other thing to experience it, isn't it? And I'm suggesting the best place is in a, is in a, in a local church. I draw a, a distinction between uh, membership and uh, attendance. Lots of people attend churches. Uh, many people are, are reluctant to join. Many people are reluctant to become members. And I'm not just saying member name only. I'm talking about member as being uh, actively participating in a local church. I'm an active participant. I, I just don't attend. And I draw a distinction between the two. I, I believe that there's a difference between a member and a tender. And I think the difference can be summed up in one word, and that word is consumer. A member, a, a genuine member, is a contributor. I'm here to participate. I'm here to contribute. I'm here to bring what God has given me. I'm here to bring it to the table and add it to, to, to all the other stuff that God has brought through all the other members. Uh, a member is a contributor, and a tender tends to be, not always, but tends to be a consumer. There's no real commitment. There's no real uh, ownership, if you will, of, of the local fellowship. They don't say, this is my church. People attend, and, and they just come and get, and, and basically that's about the limit of it. I like to use this analogy, the difference between being a consumer or a member is like the difference between living together or being married. You know, there, there are way, 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 way more people today living together than getting married. Do you know that? Statistically in our culture. And even Christians. Uh, there, there are lots and lots of Christians who are living together and they're eschewing marriage because, after all, uh, you just never know, Right? But when you get married, you sign on the dotted line. You say, okay, till death do us part, right? Now, we may have wanted to kill one another at some point, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment. So the question is, how, how important is it really to belong to a local church family? Well, before I can get there, I, I want us to make sure that we're clear on what church is. I want to just define church real simply. According to the New Testament, the church is primarily a body of people who profess and give evidence. That's key. What was that phrase? Who profess and give evidence. What do they profess and give evidence? That they have been saved by God's grace alone, for His glory alone, 
through faith alone in Christ alone. The New Testament is very clear about that. This is what the New Testament church is. The New Testament church is a people. It's the people. It's not a building. The people meet in a building. It's the people. We do everything we can. We try to provide uh, facilities for the sake of the people being able to gather together. This is why we talk about homes for many churches. We, we want more and more people in community, in small groups, as we'll see uh, in the book of Acts. They met daily in the temple courts, and they broke bread in homes. Without these things, you can't really have a community. But we need facilities. We need buildings. The overwhelming majority of references to the church in the New Testament refer to a local, living, and loving collection of people. Local, i.e. people in, in local fellowships. Now, in the beginning, uh, Christians met in homes in the temple courts, as we saw in Jerusalem. As the church began to grow, uh, it began to spread, and they met in small enclaves. Uh, if you go to the book of Acts in chapter 19 in Ephesus, uh, Paul rented a hall to teach. He taught for two years in Ephesus uh, in the uh, uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus. And so you see always this, this, this use of facilities, but it's what? It's to equip the people. It's to train the people. It's so the people can get together and have fellowship and be encouraged and strengthened and so forth. So all the references in the New Testament refer to a local, living, loving collection of people who are committed to Christ and who are committed to each other. Those are the two fundamental characteristics. You have to say to yourself, am I committed to Christ and am I committed to his people? You can't separate the two. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people. You can't do that because what? His people are the body of Christ today. If you love Jesus, you must of necessity then love his people. Does that make sense? The church is a body from which you can be excluded and which, therefore, you can clearly be included. Consider this. If there's no way for you to be excluded from the local church, perhaps that's because you've not included yourself in it as the Bible intends. So if I'm not deliberately including myself, then there's no possibility for me being excluded. You follow? So the church is basically a people, a people who are inclusive, a people who are caring for each other, loving one another, serving one another. Now the question is, why join a church? Why membership? Why is that so important? Well, I've, I've written down a number of reasons, and, and there are probably more, and you could probably think of more, but these are just some six reasons why I think it's important. I am convinced, the more I think about it, I am convinced that active church membership is really key to the life of a Christian. It's really key. It's key to revitalizing churches. Now, I know that, that church after church after church, they have membership roles, and, 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 and you review those roles, and you say, where are these people? Who are these people? They're, you know, we have these roles, and people join the church, join the church, and they're, they're nowhere to be found. I, I understand that. I'm talking about active membership. That is absolutely key to revitalizing the church. The church must be salt and light in our society. And it's not going to be salt and light unless it is revitalized, renewed. And that requires that people be committed to their local church. I believe that active church membership is key to the evangelization of the lost and to the whole principle of making disciples a great commission. I don't know that we're going to make disciples unless we're committed to a local fellowship that's committed to that proposition. Walking in obedience. The Lord says, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. And, uh, and, and unless there's a local group of people who are of one mind and one heart, as was the early church, uh, we're not going to see that happen. And so I'm suggesting to you again that Active church membership contributes. It's key to that process. It is also key to simply furthering the cause of Christ around the world. 
And ultimately, it's key to bringing glory to God. So while we may not think very much of church membership or it's a formal kind of a thing, it's not that big a deal, you know, I go to church. And I want, to, I want us to deepen our understanding of this dynamic and the impact that it can possibly have. I think it's important to remember, too, that joining a local church uh, will not save you. Some people think, well, I'm going to join the church and get saved. Well, you, church membership doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, right? We're not saved by good works. We're not saved by education. We're not saved by our culture. We're not saved by financial contributions. We're not saved by baptism. God saves us. So joining a church doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to be saved. When you get saved, then you join a church. We'll talk about that. Let me run down just a number of things, a number of reasons why I think it's important. Joining a local church, just as I said, doesn't save you. But think about this. Joining a local church family will help you in making certain that you are saved. Anybody ever wonder if they're really saved? You ever wonder, you say, you know, am I really saved? When you really think about it and you think about your life and you think about your, your attitudes and behavior and, and participation and so forth, sometimes it can lead you down that rabbit trail that you begin to wonder, you know, am I really a Christian? Am I just play acting? Am I pretending? Am I just being religious? Is this all really real? And being part of a local family can help make certain that you are. Jesus said, thing, said these things, and we talked about this some months ago. In John 14, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So clearly, Jesus says, despite what we say, he says, the one who really loves me is the one who does what? Obeys me, does what I says. He says, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him too and show myself to him. I like that last phrase and show myself to him. How he will do that, I don't know. He's very creative in how he does these things. But the point is, is if I am going to be a Christian and have assurance of it, it's got to be exemplified. It's got to be demonstrated by my what? By my obedience. Okay? Where's the best place to exhibit obedience? Where's the best place to be spurred on to obedience? Local church with other believers, people who know me. We know each other. We encourage each other. We're all in the same uh, process, if you will. In John 15, the same passage that he talked about, the vine and the branches that we've been discussing, Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Remember when he says, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in me and I renew, and you'll bear fruit. This idea of remaining, again, we see this idea of remaining And the implication is that you persevere in obedience, faithfulness. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. He says, you are my friends, in chapter 15 again. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And then he sums it all up by saying this, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. (laughs) So Jesus tells us how we are to follow him. And we must be careful about deceiving ourselves. It's easy to be deceived and it's easy to deceive ourselves. In joining a church, we put ourselves deliberately in a position where we ask our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable uh, to living consistently with what we say we believe. Am I obeying Christ? Am I honoring him? Am I following him? Really? Or have I, am, I, am I playing it safe, living on the periphery where really no one has visibility of my life, where I'm not accountable? All I'm suggesting is that joining a local church, we begin to see that there's now uh, a, a, an environment where I can be made certain that I really am saved. The New Testament places a major emphasis on the need for believers to be accountable to each other for spiritual growth. You can't be accountable when you're not committed to any specific church family. 
In this way, church membership contributes to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. If you just go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, we see this. Here are people who are, are together in community. And the whole point of it is growth and maturity, strengthening. Paul writes that, that God gave gifts to the church in terms of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I have to ask myself, am I, am I maturing? Am I maturing? And if I'm not maturing, what's the reason? It may be that I'm, <coughs> excuse me, that I'm not involved in community and, and I'm not accountable in that community. If left to my own devices, what am I going to do? If left to my own devices, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit back and not do anything, aren't I? I mean, my, my, my lazy, fleshly human nature is going to take over. It's hard to stay in the process if you isolate. If I really want to grow, and it's, it's, it's real, and it's not just talk, then I must be in community. It's not a matter of just me being, of being moral in the sense of things that I've no, I, I don't do things I'm not supposed to do. It's a matter of growing. It's a matter of advancing in the cause of Christ and becoming more like him. And again, I submit to you that that's not going to happen unless we're in some kind of accountable community. He says in verse 14 of this passage, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Where, where is it that we can speak the truth in love? It's only in the context of family, community. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined, together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows, builds itself up into love as each part does its work. Now you can apply that to the broad body of Christ, but for us to experience it, it has to be in the context of of a, of a church family, I believe, and becoming a member of a local church. In effect, what we end up doing is we end up grasping hands. We end up just holding on. We end up being united to each other. We end up in a place where we are willing to be known and to know one another, to be involved in each other's lives. That's what it means to be a personal being. We're all personal beings. We're not impersonal. We're personal. We have the capacity and the longing for relationship, the capacity and longing to know and to be known. And, but in that context, there are great hassles, aren't there? Getting involved with other people. When we join a local church, we agree to help and encourage each other. We agree to remind one another of God's work in our lives. We agree to exhort one another on to love and good deeds when there's a necessity or a discrepancy between our walk and our talk. Very simply, we're not meant to live the Christian life in isolation. We're not meant to live it alone. It's not enough just to attend a church. We've got to take the next step and become an active participant, a member of a local church, because it will help us. It'll help us in our continuing growth and give us absolute confidence of our salvation. Number two, Another reason to join local church is for the sake of evangelizing the world. We have a great commission to carry out, do we not, church? Jesus told his disciples, he says, as you go now, make disciples, make disciples. Part of that making disciples is evangelizing people. And it's only together. Think about this. It's only together as a movement can we spread the gospel here in our local community and as well abroad. The early church, again, Luke records in Acts chapter 4, they were one mind and one heart. They were all together, and they were moving ahead. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. 
The gospel was being, uh, was being uh, set forth and people were responding because of this community of people. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses, both here in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The local church is by nature, think about this, by nature, missionary. It's by nature missionary. You may never consider yourself a missionary, but we're all missionaries. I've often thought about putting a sign over the door as we exit from from our building. You are now entering the mission field. I mean, think about that. Every place we are, your your workplace can be a mission field, your school, uh, your neighborhood, uh, where you recreate. All these places are part of the mission field locally and then in, in increasingly concentric circles, aren't they? But we tend to, because we're not in accountable fellowship necessarily, we tend to isolate ourselves and compartmentalize our life. So, okay, it's okay to talk about Jesus here, but it's not okay to talk about Jesus there. Am I making sense? You see, we all participate. We all participate in the promotion of the gospel by cooperating together as a community to take it to those who have not yet heard it and by making the gospel visible to the world by how we live our lives. It was said of the early church over and over and over as, as, as pagan peoples observed these people who had become Christians as part of this community. Behold how they love one another. Behold their community. Behold them. They're in a stark contrast from the culture. Should that not be said of us too today? Behold how we love one another. Evangelizing the world. Love, unless we're active members of a local church, we won't participate in that. We won't be reminded of it. We won't be exhorted to it. Number three, church membership is an antidote to our society. This is important. There are, there are a number of things that characterize our culture and society. One of those things is that we live in a time of commitment phobia. Commitment phobia, the idea that in promising to do something good, we miss out on getting something even better. So I'm, I'm kind of dead in the water. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to kind of keep my options open here. And so it keeps me from being committed. What could be more options closing than following Jesus? Remember what he said? He said anyone who would follow him must what? Deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. I mean, that's pretty options closing, isn't it? And yet we live in a culture, and all of us come out of that culture. Some of us more recent than others. And, and, and when you come into the church, there's a whole re-enculturation process that has to go on. This is what discipleship is all about. This is what reading your Bible is all about. This is what joining the community is all about. So you can be re-enculturated into a whole new culture with a whole new value system. So that you will more and more be willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Rather than just being like the same old, same old, keeping your options open. There's another dynamic that characterizes our culture, and that is our lone rangerism, our, our, our individuality, if you will. And we emphasize that, our, our independence. We have an independence day. And we're trained and taught, because we're Americans, be independent, stand on your own two feet. And there's a subtle, there could be a subtle message in there that you, you don't need anybody else. Don't have to depend on anybody. When in fact the opposite is true. Why depend on someone if you can do it yourself? Why concern yourself uh, with anybody else's needs? Why, why be a burden to anybody else? We, we, we have a, an, an attitude, I think, in our society of ease and simplicity. I want to, I want to take the route of least complexity, right? I want, to, I want the thing to go as easy as it can go. Don't complicate matters. The minute I get involved in someone's life or they get involved in my life, we've got complications. Isn't that true? The phone rings late at night. 
I got to go over to somebody's house. I got to meet with somebody. I got to, you know, I just like everybody else would just like to stay home. Take the phone off the hook. Get caller. What's that caller ID? So I can check who's calling and judge whether I should pick it up or not. You see, all this is designed for my own ease and comfort and simplicity of life. And when we become Christians, we need to be reinculturated. Our life doesn't belong to us anymore. Our independence is not an issue. And and these kinds of things, this keep your options open, this independent attitude, they're hostile to New Testament Christianity. And they're hostile to church membership. They, they don't lead us to be comfortable with the idea of being a member of the church. And so we keep at some measure of distance, a comfortable distance. Okay, I'll be involved this much. But don't make me involve, be involved more. I wish that you were all involved as I'm involved. I really were. I'd love all of you to just walk with me through my week. Talk on the phone with me. Drink coffee with me. Put your feet up on my desk. And, and just got a sense of what a wonderful week I have. Exciting. Because we live in an age where we don't want to really be committed to anything, people today, they don't want to be committed to a job. They don't want to be committed to a marriage. They don't want to be committed to a church. This attitude has produced a generation of church shoppers and church hoppers. I call this religious consumerism. And, and, and we, what we've ended up doing is we've made celebrities out of our Bible teachers and pastors and, and, and so forth. And, and, and you hear this. I hear this all the time. Well, we're going to such and such. Or we want to hear so-and-so speak. And we want to hear so-and-so speak. And, we're, you know, we're, and, and all of a sudden now, the congregation, the church the body of Christ has been subtly turned into uh, an audience to be entertained. And people want their ears tickled. I'm, I'm amazed by the numbers of people who, who are captivated and watch Joel Olstein. Now, I don't know him personally, but I've listened to him. He's very engaging, very entertaining, and, you know, it's just very appealing. But I never hear him talk about holiness. I just hear him talking about happiness. And, and when I read my Bible, I, 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 said, I read where God's Word says, you shall be holy. You should be holy. I don't read it anywhere. You should be happy. If you can be happy, then you must be poor, right? Poor in spirit. You must mourn, grieve. The kinds of things he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. If you're going to be happy. But you get a different message. And, and, and so now there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are taking this stuff in and getting their ears tickled. Oprah. Uh, here, here, this is, she has an incredible following of people and leading them down a path of absolute foolishness. And I can't tell you how many Christians watch Oprah. They would never admit to it. But she's an engaging person. She does good things. And so we have, a, we have this religious consumerism marking the church today. See, church membership, beloved, swims against the current of America's consumer religion. It swims against it. It's an unselfish decision to become a member of a local church, an active member. It's not so much what I'll get. It's what am I bringing to the table? What am I going to contribute? You don't have to worry about what you're going to get. Jesus already says, you know, that's already in the bank. You give and it'll be given to you. Don't worry about that. You come, you join 
to participate. You come to join to bring to the table. You come and join to be an active, active participant in what God is doing through that local congregation. This is where I put my roots down. This is where I take my stand. This is where I'm going to grow. This is where God is going to use me as long as I have breath in my body and as long as I live in this community. I mean, that's my attitude. I think you'll agree with me that church membership in that sense requires commitment. It requires commitment. And commitment always builds character. There's a fourth reason, I think, for joining a local church because it defines who can be counted on. This is kind of a corollary to the last one. Church membership is our opportunity, again, to just grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love. When you and I identify ourselves uh, with a particular church family, we, we communicate to the leaders of that congregation, to the pastors, to the other members of the church, uh, that we intend to be committed The old saying is we extend the right hand of fellowship to you and we adopt you, we invite you to join us and you, by responding, uh, say amen to that. And what we're really doing is we're, we're, we're letting people know that we are committed to being an active part, to attending. We're committed to giving. We're con- uh, committed to prayer. We're committed to serving, to taking part. And we allow fellow believers to have greater expectations of us in those areas. It's okay to have those expectations of one another. And we want to. We want to hold the bar high for each other. We don't want to keep lowering the bar and lowering the bar and lowering the bar so that it's no big deal to be a Christian and no big deal to join a church as nothing ever happens. No growth. Am I making sense? Joining a a church, think about it this way, joining a church increases our sense of ownership of the work of the church. This is my church. I'm taking ownership of it. I'm constantly hearing people say, well, no, your church, your church. They're speaking to me as if my church. No, no, I say it's our church. It's our church. We're in this together. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's our church. But, But how many times I hear that phrase again and again and again? Well, you know, your church is... No, no, it's our church. And when you become a member, you're taking ownership of that church. You're taking ownership of the work of the church. You're taking ownership of the community of the church. You're taking ownership of its budget. You're taking ownership of the goals of the church. That's why we pray for the church. We move from being pampered consumers to becoming joyous proprietors. We stop arriving late. Why? Because now I'm just not a consumer. I'm a proprietor. I have a personal interest in this. This is my church. And as such, I, I, I quit arriving late, and I, I start coming early. I quit complaining about uh, not getting exactly what I want. And I start pouring my life into the lives of others and in helping others get what God wants them to have. See, it's a whole paradigm shift. Beloved, we must begin to view membership less as a loose affiliation useful only on occasion and more as a regular responsibility involving us in one another's lives for the purposes of the gospel and for the glory of God. Very simple. Hebrews chapter 10, look there with me real quickly. I want us to go to the lettuce patch. I mean, where the lettuce patch is. It's in the context of a, of a call to those second century Hebrew believers to persevere in the face of persecution. They could easily run back to the cover and the protection of Judaism because identifying themselves with, with believers... would put them into the, into the gun sites of the Roman Empire in persecution. And so the writer tells them, verse 19, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. See, all that imagery these Jews would understand uh, from the Mosaic law and from their, their sacrificial system. 
He says, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our heart sprinkled, cleansed from uh, guilt, a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed pure. Let us, in other words, let's, let's keep, keep coming. Let's keep coming towards God. Let's, let's approach him with confidence because of what Jesus has done. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us, let us, let us, let us. And all of that is, is calling this group of people into closer, committed fellowship. Do you follow? Another reason to commit yourself to the church and to church membership is simply... Jesus' own example. May I suggest to you that Jesus is committed to the church? How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. How committed is Jesus to the church? He loves his church. How much he loves his church? He gave his life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. If Jesus is committed to the church, beloved, should we be committed to the church? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says that he will build his church. If he's going to build his church, should we not also participate in that process as the body of Christ today? See, what are we we committed to? What, 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 What are our priorities as Christians? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? Number six. And finally, this is it. If, if you are a Christian, you should join the local church for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Listen to uh, what Peter says. You see, how we live our lives brings God glory, right? And, and as I suggested earlier, by being a committed, active member of a local church helps us in how we live our lives for God's glory. Does that make sense? Peter writes this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And God gets the glory. Now, if that's true of our lives individually, then I think it should also be true of our lives together as Christians in community. Jesus intends that the way we love each other will identify us as his followers. John chapter 13, remember what he said? I give you a new command. What's the new command? Love one another. How can I love one another? How can we love one another if we're not in community? Can I just love you from a distance? Sometimes we prefer doing that, huh? No, we've got to be in close contact. Love one another. Then he goes on and he says, you know, people are watching. And they're going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's going to make a statement. It's going to make an impact. When we join a church family, we're being adopted into that family. And the relationships to which we commit ourselves ultimately will bring God glory. Because why? That's the way he's designed it. And we follow his design. He gets the glory. Somebody say amen to that. So these are just some simple reasons, I think, for us to consider about being an active member of a local church. Now, what about Hope Chapel? What, 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 what does it mean to be a member? What, what's expected of me as a member here at Hope Chapel? Well, some simple things. It's important to remember that we never ask members to be or to do more than the Bible clearly teaches. The Bible always is our guideline. The first thing, what's the first thing that, that we should expect of a person if they want to be a member of the church? What's the first thing? They be a believer. That's right. They must be born again. John 3, 3, Jesus says what to Nicodemus? Nick, you must be born again. You're not going to see, comprehend, understand the kingdom of God unless first you're spiritually equipped. You've got to be born again first. All of us, I think, would, 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 would agree and, and would have the same testimony that when you really got born again, your eyes were opened. It's like the man who was born blind, recorded in John 9. 
He says, I was blind, but now I see. I believe, I, I experienced that. I thought, wow, this is, this is terrific. This is something I can give my life to. This is substantial. This is, this is the greatest thing going. The church, Christianity, a relationship with God. We want you to be born again. It doesn't make any sense to be a member of a church unless you're born again. You're not going to be able to connect. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, uh, Paul writes that uh, Jesus saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual work that happens. It's not just a, 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 a positive mental attitude thing. It's a transformation. The, 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 the technical theological term is regeneration. When you're born again, you're regenerated, not degenerate. You're regenerate. Isn't that exciting? I'm taken from being degenerate to regenerate. God makes me new and gives me a whole new life, whole new future, whole new hope. The second thing, what's the second thing that uh, is important if you're going to be a member of a local church? You're born again. What's the first one? What's the second one? Be baptized. That's right. Very good. Be baptized. Now, is baptism optional? Why do so many Christians not get baptized? (laughs) Because they think it's optional? No, it's a command. Again, if you go back to Matthew chapter 28 and the great commission that Jesus sends his disciples out on, he says, when you go and you make disciples, baptize them. There's an order of events. Baptize them and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Baptize. When Peter preached his first sermon right after that in Jerusalem and 5,000 people got saved the very first day and people who heard the message and Luke says they were cut to the heart, they were convicted of their own sin, they were reached a point of desperation, they said, what must we do? And Peter tells them, repent and what? Be baptized. That's part of the formula. There's something mysterious, spiritual, powerful that goes on when you make your baptism and you make your testimony. You're publicly initiated into the church. But more than that, you're acknowledging that you are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. When he died, you died with him. When he rose, you rose to new life with him. There ought to be a demonstrable change. I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. Thirdly, in our church, if you're going to be a member, we want you to to be committed to supporting the leadership. Support the leadership with your prayers, with your encouragement, with your trust. As they walk in the ways of God, the church council, our pastoral staff, our many church shepherds, Act in love towards the leaders. It's not an easy thing to lead sheep. Do you know that? Refuse to gossip or complain about the leaders. We're in this together. Support them. You may disagree with some things. That's fine. We're we're always going to disagree over some things. But the point is, we're, we're, we're in this together. My wife and I don't always agree on everything. But but we support one another, and she supports me. She lets me know sometimes. She says, I disagree, but I'm your wife, and I'm here to support you. And we're going we're gonna to do things the way you want them done. And I say, yes, dear. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, and Matthew 18, 18, you see... Uh, uh, Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom to Peter and the apostles. The keys of the kingdom basically are, are the, the, the authority to govern the church. Whatever they bind and loose on earth is bound and loose in heaven. That doesn't, that's not talking about demon possession. That's talking about the authority to approve of things, to give permission to things, and the authority to, to, to forbid things. It's authority, spiritual authority. And that authority is to be respected, is to be honored. In Acts chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, Paul and Silas 
after uh, submitting themselves to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, they go about strengthening the churches and they visit the churches in all the cities and they tell the churches to obey the instructions of the council. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer to the Hebrews speaks to this issue. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I'm responsible for you. I'm responsible for what goes on in your lives. I'm going to have to stand before God one day and and give an account for this congregation and for the stewardship that he's entrusted to my care and to the staff's care. We're going to have to give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, I I would think that those who are spiritual leaders over us, we would want their work to be a joy. Isn't that true? Not a hassle. Because in the long run, we get blessed when it's a joy to the leaders to lead. So support the leaders. Number four, commit yourself to fellowship. In two ways, that you would attend regularly the local fellowship. Attend service regularly. Don't skip. It's not an option. Week after week after week. Be part of the fellowship. The large group and the small group. Be part of a small group where you're known and you can know others. Whether it be a mini church, a Bible study, a discipleship group. Luke says of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 16 of his gospel, that on the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus, customary for him on the Sabbath, always to go to the synagogue. Never missed. And so for you and I, that we be committed to fellowship. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Speaking of those early Christians, uh, they're characterized as meeting daily in the temple courts and in homes. Large group setting, small group setting. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We just read this verse a moment ago where the, the writer says, let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. Why? All of this, all of this points us to the need for us to be together as much as we possibly can, large group, small group. Why? Because we need the encouragement. We need the encouragement from each other. Number five, be committed to serving in ministry if you're going to be a member. How do you do that? Well, if you don't know what your spiritual gifting is, find out. If you don't know how to find out, we can help you. If you don't want to go through that process, you can experiment. Just start, look for a need. Just look for a need and fill it. Figure out a way to help somebody. And very often, you may think, well, other people see that need, so someone else will do it, when in fact probably no one else sees it like you see it, and maybe God has given you visibility that need, so you go fill it, and therein you find uh, where you're going to be ministering. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So be committed to serving. The best place to serve is how you're gifted. God has designed each one of us. He's designed works for us to do before he ever created the heavens and the earth, Ephesians chapter 2. It's all in place. It just remains for us to enter in and to participate. And unless we're committed to a local body, chances are we will not do those things. Number six, be committed to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the church. Pray for the church. Pray for the strengthening of the church. Pray for the unity of the church. Pray for the ministry of the church. Pray that God would send workers out into the harvest field and pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17. Be committed to pray. And lastly, number seven, be committed financially. Be committed financially in tithes and offerings. We see this clearly spelled out in Malachi chapter 3, a famous passage, where the people had, had walked away from God. They'd been disobedient to God. And, and through the prophet Malachi, God begins to confront them over their faithlessness in all these different areas. And he caps it off in chapter 3. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
you know, that's good news. God, thank you that you don't change. I, I change. I'm like hot and cold, you know, but God, you're always constant. Because you're faithful, I'm not destroyed. Ever since the time of your, far, your forefathers turned away from my decrees, I've not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? What, what's the signal that we've returned? What marks our return to you? And then he says, God says this very interesting thing in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Can you imagine somebody sneaking into God's treasure house and robbing him? How dare they? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Because you rob me, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. How do we know we return? Because we come back, and Jesus says in, in, in Matthew's gospel, uh, where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart, right? And so what, our, our heart follows our money in, in a very real sense. So if, if, if we're returning back to God, the signal that we're returning is that what he gets, the bottom line, he gets the money. It's a simple, simple equation. In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse the whole nation of you because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you'll not have room enough for it. It's kind of like Jesus saying, given, it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaking together, be poured into your laps. Okay, God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to, I'm going to test you in this. I'm going to return to you, and I'm going to signal my return by, by being committed financially to my local church. He, says, uh, he goes on, he says, I'll prevent pests from devouring crops, and uh, the vines in your field will not cast their fruit. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Real simple. Tithes and offerings. Now, if you, most of us know that the tithe is a 10%. That was a legal prescription for Israel. Tithe is the beginning point for us. It's just the beginning point. We start at 10%, and we go up from there. Offerings, that's over and above our tithe. We take a special offering for this or for that or emissions or so forth. We have a dollar missions fund. We ask people to just one every week, can just contribute one extra dollar, identify it on your envelope, hope missions, one dollar, and, and that's an offering. Tithes and offerings. Why? Because it's a testimony that I trust you. I'm invested with you. I, I, I want to see your kingdom grow. I'm here. I'm committed. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Don't worry about it. Someone said, ah, yeah, I've heard that. I tried that. I gave, I gave, I gave. I cast my bread on the water. And all I got back was soggy bread. <laughs> Trust him. Obey him from the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he tells us this to the Apostle Paul. I love this passage. Verse 6, remember this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a law of reciprocity. It's built into life. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver. Well, when you're really free, you, you, just, you just get hilarious about things. And God is able, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow, what a, what a, marvelous, what a marvelous confidence we have. Be committed. Be committed. Be born again. Be baptized. Be committed to support the leadership. What's number four? Be committed to fellowship, attending. Number five? Serving. Number six? Praying. Number seven? Financially. Membership commitment. Beloved, joining a local church family is an outward expression of an inward love for Christ and for His people. As we see so often in this life, the greatest love is rarely merely spontaneous. The greatest love is planned, it's premeditated, and it is characterized by commitment, isn't it? 
We read in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We read in Acts 20.28 reminds us that he bought his church with his own blood. If we are his followers, if we're his, his disciples, then we too will love the church that he gave himself for. So, beloved, don't just merely attend church. Join. Be an active, participating member. Do it so that non-Christians will see and hear the gospel. Do it so that weak Christians will be strengthened. Do it so that strong Christians will channel their energies and their wisdom and their grace in good ways. Do it so that the church leaders will be encouraged and helped. Do it so that God will be glorified. Amen. Now you have in your bulletins a blue piece of paper, and that is a membership commitment sheet. If I've managed to convince you, then I encourage you to sign and fill out that sheet and leave that with us. If you're not part of this church, if you're a member of another church, then I hope the things I've shared with you will spur you on to be a full, active, participating member in your church. Amen? Father, we thank you again for the church. We thank you for the privilege of being part of the church. And I pray, God, that on each one of us, your spirit would impress upon us the importance of these things we've talked about, that we love you and we love your church, that we are committed people, that we are supportive, that we are participating actively in the things that you've called us to as long as we have breath in our bodies and as long as we live in this community. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being in your family and being in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.